spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs and Beachside Roofing. Well, aloha. Good morning, everyone. Happy Aloha Friday. Thank you so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii, live on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. And Ryan, today we go back to a guest that is a regular here on the show, but we haven't talked to uh, for at least the whole month of February. Yeah, we had some scheduling conflicts, but we are uh, happy to welcome back in Governor David Ige, joining us live from the Hawaii State Capitol. Good morning, Governor. Thank you for uh, starting your Aloha Friday with us this morning morning. Yeah. Aloha, Ryan and Yanji. Thank you so much. It, it certainly seems like it's been a long time since we had a chance to talk. Yeah, you know, we've gone from talking almost every week during the pandemic. And uh, it's a good sign maybe that we don't talk to you every week anymore. Uh, but let's begin with where we had uh, many of our conversations begin in the past, and that's with COVID-19. This week, you've made a major announcement about the plans for uh, safe travels and the changes that are happening there, as well as uh, your thoughts on moving forward with the mask mandate. If you can just update us briefly on that announcement and some of the reasoning behind uh, how you got to making this decision on the regulations moving forward. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. We are seeing uh, the case counts drop and um, the COVID patients in hospitals uh, continues to fall. But um, just a reminder, we're still averaging more than 200 cases uh, a day, and certainly. Uh, the virus activity, uh, even with the new CDC guidance, um, we're still at medium level of um, COVID activity. So we're not out of the woods, but clearly we see things improving. Uh, I did announce that we were ending the Safe Travels program on March 25th, so that after the 25th, beginning March 26th and beyond, um, travelers will not have to enter their information into the Safe Travels program. They can come uh, to Hawaii without uh, proving vaccination or a pre-travel test uh, and will be able to enjoy our islands um, as they used to prior to the pandemic. On the 25th, we're also ending a couple of other um, uh, requirements. We are uh, ending the requirement for uh, state and county workers. Uh, to be vaccinated or to get tested on a regular basis. And we're ending the requirement um, for um, those entering state buildings to show proof of vaccination or a test in order to enter state buildings. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about why you're ending those mandates, but keeping the mask in place. Uh, there are a lot of folks who feel like if we're getting rid of those others, why not get rid of the masks as well, considering that most of the mainland uh, has already lifted their indoor masking. What are the specific metrics that you're looking at? What data or information are you basing this decision on? You know, Yanji, there's no single metrics that we're looking at, but we are looking at a number of things. Uh, as you know, the CDC pivoted and they are now looking at uh, the, the general new cases uh, per 100,000 that they're seeing in the communities. 
They're also looking at the number of um, new admissions into the hospitals and the percent of the hospital beds that are occupied by COVID patients. So we'll be looking at all of those. And as I said before, all the counties except for Hawaii Island um, is in the medium uh, level. So we're, we're in the middle, we're not um, at the green uh, level um, in the state of Hawaii at this point in time. Uh, you know, Yanji, we'll look, we're look also looking at the number of COVID uh, cases in the schools. Uh, we do know that we want um, schools to continue with in-person learning. And we know that the cases that we see in schools are a reflection of the communities uh, statewide. Um, and we are watching what happens in our public schools. Um, the other thing that we're looking at, Yanji, as you know, uh, last week, um, all the counties dropped all restrictions. So we do anticipate uh, as a result of that to see uh, increasing virus activity. Uh, we want to see what the impact of the counties uh, dropping their restrictions would be uh, on the case counts that we're seeing. Um, and then we'll be looking at the general prevalence of the virus uh, in our community before making that decision. Uh, you know, we do know that um, masks work. Um, and uh, although the CDC guidance uh, dropped the mask generally, they are still recommending or their, their uh, mask requirements don't apply to uh, jails or prisons. They don't apply to schools. Um, they uh, don't apply in uh, certain specific instances. And we are just looking at um, the virus activity across all of those metrics uh, to make decisions about the overall statewide masking. And so would you maybe be open to amending the mask mandate, say for those areas, like making it mandatory for schools, large gatherings, prisons, areas like that. Um, is that within the jurisdiction of the emergency powers where you can maybe be very specific about where people uh, have to wear masks? Um, Ryan, we can. Um, however, uh, just a couple things, right? I mean, part of that is enforcement and people um, being able to um, know that they have to wear a mask or not. Um, one of the reasons we instituted the statewide mask mandate is so that there would be consistent application and everybody knew if they went into a store or a business, uh, they had to have a mask on. Um, so we are aware that we could make a spot decisions and try and decide in a situation by situation basis. But we believe that it would be better to uh, have the mandate or drop the mandate. Uh, and we'll be looking at uh, a lot of different metrics to make that decision. You know, you brought up the issue of schools and front page of the paper today. There's a there's some controversy brewing in Kailua at Mokapu Elementary. A number of parents have signed a petition to get the mask mandate lifted for outdoor areas of school. Right now, uh, the DOE requires that anyone on campus is required to wear a mask, whether they're indoors or outdoors. What's your take on that? And what do you say to parents who are frustrated with the idea that their kids are outside in the fresh air, you know, perhaps playing sports or perhaps just eating lunch with their friends, hanging out, and that they have to be masked the entire day, whether they're inside or out? You know, Yanji, I think one of the things that we are looking at, and I know that the, the public school system is looking at it as well, you know, there might be uh, specific instances where uh, taking your mask off might be safe. But I think overall, if you look at uh, children on the campus, um, 
many unable to maintain physical distancing, especially out on the playground and outdoors. I think that part of the way that we keep um, all students and uh, staff and educators safe on the campus is to have um, guidelines that can be enforced and implemented. Um, and looking at um, having masks required in um, some specific situations on a campus, but not in others, uh, really does create a real big burden uh, in terms of school staff and, and implementing and enforcing uh, those kinds of uh, situations. One of the things that you mentioned that will also be changing with this, um, you know, I, I, when we get to this date, it is the lifting of the requirement for state employees to have to pr uh, provide that proof of vaccination or a negative test. Uh, we do also know that there have been some individuals who may have been uh, put on some type of leave or even let go of their job because, um, you know, they did not want to comply with the restriction that was put into place. Are those individuals uh, going to be allowed to reapply for their jobs again uh, if their position is still open and, and moving forward in the hiring process for any individual that may be seeking a state job? Uh, what is that requirement? Uh, what will be any of those requirements uh, moving forward for those individuals? You know, Ryan, we are still in a pandemic. And so from the state's perspective, we will continue to require all new hires to be fully vaccinated. Uh, that's just gonna be a basic requirement uh, to work for the state of Hawaii. Um, we um, know that we are not going to be uh, requiring it of existing employees, but um, you know, the overwhelming majority um, are fully vaccinated um, or have been tested testing themselves on a regular basis. One of the things that we were talking about, just as uh, things change, of course, are some restrictions being lifted at the Capitol uh, where you are right now. What can you tell us about that? Yes, we've been uh, working with the legislature and um, the Capitol will be open to the public next week. Uh, we will be um, requiring proof of vaccination or a COVID test uh, at, le at least up until March 25th. Um, but the uh, Capitol will be open uh, to the public starting next Monday. When we look at just what we're seeing now with the COVID cases and the CDC's report saying that one of the metrics now that they're going to be using is more of the hospitalizations and, and making sure uh, that the hospitals are not at a capacity level where it is worrisome or could be dangerous to the community. Um, you know, is, is that the metric that the state will continue to follow as well um, as, you know, more on, on the hospitalizations rather than these daily counts that we see? So even though there may be another influx in counts, as long as the hospitalizations stay low, is that something that will be more of the metric moving forward? Uh, yes, Ryan, we uh, have a good working relationship with the um, hospital association here, and we do get um, data on a regular basis. Actually, one of the things, even though we see the COVID patient counts uh, falling, and I think when I checked this morning, we were at um, under 80 COVID patients in the hospital statewide, um, the hospitals are still full. Uh, you know, I think during this pandemic, uh, many people um, postponed elective procedures and, you know, was cautious about uh, going into the hospital. So uh, we are seeing that our hospitals are um, full uh, during this period of time. And so all of those things have to be taken into consideration as we look at dropping mass requirements and other actions that we'll be taking. 
want to bring in a question from Christine Donnelly. Um, we know that the emergency proclamation was quite prolific. And now I'm looking for the question. There's so many comments, um, but basically, oh, here it is. Uh, she says there are numerous other elements of the emergency proclamation beside the three or four that you mentioned. Will all of those elements in the proclamations expire at midnight on the 25th? Uh, I would say that the majority of them will expire with the proclamations. You know, we've been uh, going out to all the counties trying to identify uh, specific exemptions that uh, they want to continue. Uh, and we're challenging them. You know, we want to make sure that um, we are only taking and exempting those laws or uh, statutes that are real critical during this um, emergency. And we do want to get to uh, living with COVID moving forward. Um, the pandemic is continuing, but we want to minimize uh, the laws that we're exempting uh, to the to the largest extent possible. We know uh, of the role that the federal government played in helping to fund the program like Safe Travels and the assistance that was provided uh, from the federal level. We have a question from Heidi that's asking, if we see large spikes of a new variant of concern, will Safe Travels be re-implemented? Is that something that would continue to be on the table despite the fact that there may not be as much federal support to fund a program like this moving forward? Yeah, just a couple of things, Ryan. You know, I've been talking with the federal government. Uh, you know, there is no other state that had implemented a program like Safe Travels. So I've been talking with TSA and the FAA and really talking about changes to TSA and the screening process nationwide in light of this pandemic. So there are things that I'm suggesting, you know, the whole notion of being able to verify uh, tests of, of different sorts and vaccination status, I think is something that would be helpful in the overall travel system. Uh, and definitely uh, when it comes to international travel. Um, so, you know, I think that those kinds of things are improvements that we would want to encourage and advocate for uh, nationwide so that Hawaii doesn't just become uh, an anomaly. And I do think, and I, as I've talked with other governors, you know, be, being able to verify testing activity or vaccination status, I think is something that would be helpful to every state, um, it just in managing uh, travel between uh, our states and within the country. Moving off of COVID for just a moment, I wanna ask you about Red Hill. Um, are you satisfied with what the Navy has done up to now in terms of the cleanup efforts and also in terms of complying with the state order? You know, we've been disappointed. As you know, they filed a lawsuit challenging uh, the state's authority to uh, ensure that our drinking water is uh, clean and safe for our community. Um, you know, in spite of that, um, legal challenge. Um, we continue to work um, with them uh, to identify the source of the fuel and how it got into our drinking water uh, and really taking action. Uh, as you know, this um, past week, we said that the, their contract with an independent um, assessor and expert is just unacceptable. You know, there was so much control that the Navy exerted over the contractor that we felt that they would not be giving us an independent assessment. Um, and uh, because of uh, some of those things, uh, the Navy has not fulfilled the requirements of the emergency order. 
um, you know, we are committed and we will make sure that they um, comply with all of the requirements uh, of the emergency order. Um, and we expect that they uh, will and should comply. One of the issues that we're also hearing is just the overall transparency on this issue. You know, we spoke to Ernie Lau uh, here on this program a few weeks back, as well as Congressman Kahele. And one of their frustrations was uh, regarding a report that was done in early January that uh, had many redactions and they asked for a complete, uh, you know, unredacted version of the report so that they are able to get a, a better picture and sense of what is actually happening and what led up to this leak. Uh, but it does raise those questions of overall transparency and what the Navy is providing to those stakeholders who play a pivotal role uh, in maintaining this facility. Uh, if you can speak to uh, your thoughts on their overall transparency and if they have been uh, as open to sharing that type of information that you feel might be critical to making decisions moving forward. Yeah, you know, Ryan, I've uh, had several conversations uh, with um, the Secretary of the Navy, as well as uh, different uh, people at different levels uh, of this um, disaster. And I've expressed to them a couple of things. I told them that the people who I have lost complete trust in the Navy um, and that they will have to work very hard to regain that trust. Um, I told them that transparency is something that can help them. It's not, it won't resolve all of the trust issues, but if we don't believe that they're being um, honest and forthright with us and the general public, then they will always be skeptical. Um, you know, I am hoping and I advocate in every conversation that I have with the leadership in the Navy that transparency is important independent assessments are important, uh, being able to meet and fulfill uh, quality standards, um, clean water standards are fundamentally important to regaining uh, public trust. You know, one of the things that Ernie Lau, uh, for the audience members who don't know, he is the chief engineer of the Board of Water Supply. One of the things he brought to our attention is that three wells are still closed off because they're worried about cross-contamination. We know that the Board of Water Supply is, of course, under the purview of the county, but certainly the state has an interest and a role in this as well. He said they're starting to try to find alternate water sources. And, and you know, this is a multi-year, multi-million, if not multi-billion dollar process. Who should pay for that in the end? And, and how do you think that that will all come about? Um, you know, I think a lot of people would say, of course, the Navy should pay. Uh, but that seems like that could be another very difficult fight. Yeah, just a couple of things, uh, Yanji. You know, the Commission on Water Resource Management, which is, which is a state commission, uh, really manages the aquifer on behalf of the city and county of Honolulu because there is um, more demand than there is supply. So anytime there's a short shortage situation, uh, the commission is involved with assuring that, um, that we don't overuse uh, the existing wells that we have and that we never get to the point of damaging the aquifer uh, and not having clean, fresh water for the state. Uh, so they're involved, they're looking at um, all of the wells and the amount of water that is being uh, removed from them. Um, I do believe that the Navy uh, should pay uh, for the shortages that are um, caused by this um, crisis. Um, but certainly, um, we knew that we needed to develop more water wells as we approve more housing um, on Oahu. 
uh, and those kinds of costs that would normally uh, be incurred uh, should be borne by uh, the county. We know that by normal trade, your profession is an engineer and engineers tend to look at things a lot differently through a different type of lens uh, than most people. And so when you look at a situation like this, like Red Hill, uh, with that lens of an engineer, uh, what do you think overall the plan of the future should be for Red Hill in, in a fueling facility? Is it something where uh, it should be completely above ground? Do you think that there is uh, continues to be a chance for these uh, current you know, facilities that were built in the 40s to continue to move on and be maintained. I mean, I mean, I, th I think a lot of people are thinking what ne next once, you know, this gets cleaned up, what is the future of this facility look like? Yeah, thanks for that question, Ryan. You know, um, the Red Hill bulk fuel storage um, was a m marvel of engineering. Uh, it's It was remarkable during the World War uh, that this facility was constructed in about two years' time, uh, completely underground and, and containing the entire strategic fuel reserve for um, all Department of Defense operations all around the world. Um, what we've emphasized is that it's not a very smart thing to have a single source for all fuel for the entire world that they need to look at developing other fuel storage facilities because um, that's what we need to have happen. Um, we are asking the question, Ryan, and you're right, you know, this facility is now 80 years old. Um, how safe is it? You know, it is underground. That's what makes it a challenge. Is it deteriorating? Um, you know, the Navy has an obligation and what this crisis showed us, Ryan, is we're putting the burden of proof on them. You know, before I think the assumption was that um, the facility was safe and could be operated safe, this crisis showed us that um, fuel is in the water. You know, we're not gonna assume that it can be safe. What we're asking and demanding that the Navy do is prove to us that it's not leaking, prove to us that it hasn't deteriorated. Uh, if it has, then make sure that they have the resources to correct any deficiencies, defuel the, the fuel tanks. And if we believe they've met that burden of proof, then we will think about allowing them to refuel and reuse the facility going forward. You know, because we haven't talked to you in such a long time, there was a major scandal that erupted at the legislature involving uh, former Senator Kalani English and former Representative Ty Cullen. I just want to get your thoughts on that scandal. We had Claire Connors on here, uh, who, of course, is the U.S. attorney to talk about that case and just corruption overall throughout the state at different levels, talking about DPP, uh, the Stacey Higa case on Hawaii Island. What are your thoughts about the case at the legislature specifically and also more generally about restoring public trust? Thanks, Yanji, for that question. You know, as uh, as an elected official, I really have um, held myself to the highest standards of ethics. Um, you know, I, um, I hated uh, fundraising in general. I uh, scheduled my fundraisers after all decisions were made. Um, and I never actively solicited contributions uh, during uh, the session. Um, we uh, need to work very hard to restore the public trust. Um, this case was just outrageous. Um, blatantly 
uh, asking for and uh, accepting bribes. I've never heard of anything like that before uh, for all of my years as a public servant. Um, we um, need to work very hard. I, I hope that the legislature will be taking action in this session. Uh, I do know that the Citizens United case, which allows unlimited contributions in super PACs, um, really um, is an attack on the democracy. Uh, you know, it um, really makes um, money more important um, to candidates, and it really um, creates opportunities for um, campaign campaign advertising without anybody taking responsibility for the content of the advertising. And I really think it really um, is another one of the things that contributed uh, to the current um, crisis that we're having. Wanted to also get your thoughts on bills that are moving forward in the legislature that may limit uh, future governor's powers uh, with, with regards to just these emergency proclamations. Uh, you know, this is something that is not confide here to Hawaii. We know that states across the country are also looking at this type of legislation of limiting the governor's power due in large part to what we saw with COVID-19. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts about where that uh, is moving forward. We know that ultimately it will not impact you because this is your last term in office, but as uh, the person who takes office uh, in the, your role next year, how this could impact them moving forward and, and your overall thoughts about that bill. Yeah, Ryan, you know, I, I, I think that uh, an emergency crisis or situation is the toughest challenge for any executive, um, the governor or the mayor. Uh, and having uh, their hands tied is really difficult. You know, when I, um, I used to co-chair um, the Council on Governors that really oversaw emergency response and the National Guard. Um, and um, that's one of the things that I hear over and over again from other governors they've had authority taken away for them, uh, from them, and it makes it difficult uh, to respond in, in an emergency. You know, Ryan, if you think about it here in Hawaii, we have the whole gamut, and, and someone had mentioned that I've had to deal with more emergencies uh, than any other previous governor, but, um, but typically, you know, it's a short duration activity. A hurricane is approaching, we issue an emergency order and the hurricane passes and then you know there might be some extension to make repairs and other kinds of activities but it's usually a very short and defined period of time you know nobody anticipated a public health emergency lasting two years and i think it's wrong for the legislature to take action on this outlier of an event um, you know, we had the eruption on the Big Island um, in 2018 uh, that had an emergency that um, lasted eight months or 10 months actively. Uh, but clearly, I don't think anybody had anticipated that. And Ryan, if you think about it, I had to, by emergency action, take over a geothermal plant because we were concerned about being overrun by lava. And, you know, if you begin to nickel and dime and restrict the authority of the chief executive to keep our community safe, I do think the unintended consequences can really be grave. Is that something, if it does reach your desk, that you would then veto? 
I mean, I'd, I'd have to look at it and, and see exactly what um, the legislature is um, proposing. I really think that it um, does not serve the community to restrict an executive's authority during um, an emergency. And before we go, I just wanted to get your uh, final thoughts here on, on where we're at with, uh, surely you're tracking things as they happen through the legislature. Um, what things are happening with, you know, the surplus that is expected and, uh, you know, your proposal was to put money into the rainy day fund. Uh, your thoughts moving forward of how the legislature is shaping this budget bill right now. You know, I'm uh, excited about the possibilities. I know that our um, uh, proposal to deposit funds into the rainy day fund is moving. Um, you know, I've heard from legislators that they can't see doing a billion, billion dollars, but they uh, recognize the need uh, for restoring the rainy day fund. You know, I'm excited about the interest in the Hawaiian homesteading program. I, I think we all recognize that resources has been a challenge for that program. Um, and the legislature wanting to significantly increase funds to the homesteading program, I, I'm excited about. It gives us an opportunity to really move forward in a lot of things that we uh, have wanted to do, but have not had the resources to do. You know, and I, I'm, I know that there are other um, things that will happen. I'm hoping that the legislature will restore the cuts that were painful uh, two years ago uh, so that we can restore uh, the strength of all the agencies. I think that that's important. Um, and I am negotiating pay raises that I think is fair for the public servants. Uh, and I do believe that we're in a strong financial position that we can do all of those things. Um, and it will be a balance of how we can weave together uh, the resources to really serve the public in the best way possible. We're almost out of time. Before we let you go, though, I have to ask again about the mask because the comments are just flowing in about that. Uh, tell us a little bit about your communication on that. I know that people just want to know uh, what you're thinking and when they'll be notified. If you do lift it, will we be given, you know, like a two week heads up that in two weeks you can take it off or, you know, how, how would that actually play out and, and what kind of communication on the mask is issue specifically can we anticipate? Yes, uh, Yanji, we are looking at that uh, right now as we speak, you know, looking at uh, what is happening in each of the counties as they've dropped uh, restrictions and requirements. Uh, we do know that spring break is coming up for public schools from um, March 18th uh, through or 14th through the 18th. Uh, and so that's a concern. We know that uh, spring break will increase the number of cases that we see. Um, so um, we're looking at all of those things and the overall um, uh, utilization in our hospitals to make a decision about masking. So I will make that announcement as as early as I can. I do know that impacts uh, everyone in our community. Uh, and I do want them to have as much notice as possible. All right, Governor Ige, thank you so much uh, for spending time with us here on this Friday uh, and updating us about the many things that are happening within our state. There certainly is a lot, but we appreciate you taking the time this morning. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, uh, Ryan. Thanks, Yanji. I really appreciate this opportunity. Aloha, thanks, Governor. Thank you.
Well, great to hear from him. We see all of your comments. Um, it sounds like no mask announcement until spring break is over, at least. You know, it's interesting to hear the governor's thought process. As you noted, Ryan, he is an engineer. And in all things, he's really shown himself to be so methodical and so as he's lifting certain restrictions, you know, for instance, we know that the Safe Access Oahu program is going away. He wants to see when you get rid of that program uh, here on Oahu and a similar one on Maui, what is the impact and how that might impact his decision on whether or not to lift the mask mandate. So uh, clearly there's no one metric that he's looking at. It's a variety of them. And he is certainly not ready. And on the DOE question, you know, we know that there are a lot of parents who would like to see their kids play sports or be outside without a mask on campus. He's saying that that would be very difficult for administrators to actually enforce to, you know, constantly have to tell kids mask on, mask off, what have you. And so it's just easier, it sounds uh, like from an administrative point, to just have everybody mask all the time while they're on campus, as frustrating as that may be for some parents. Yeah, and interesting to also hear uh, his thought and conversation that he's had with the federal government about the future of state travels program, noting that, you know, if there is uh, another variant, another increase, uh, if you will, that may lend itself to cause safe travels to come back into place, looking for ways for the federal government itself to implement some sort of testing requirement or verification process within the checking in process of those who are traveling so that it has not become something that is confined to the state of Hawaii, but something that overall could be done at a federal level, noting that international travelers as well will have to go under this type of clearance in order to get into the United States as a whole as that continues to move forward uh, under the federal restrictions. And so the governor having those types of converse conversations at the highest level to see what those possibilities may be. We also heard his thoughts on Red Hill uh, and, and his passionate plea once again for transparency. Those conversations that he's having with the Navy saying that the people of Hawaii have lost trust in the Navy. And one of the ways to bring that back is to be more open, more transparent. Uh, that's, he noted that that's not necessarily going to fix things, but it'll be a good start. Uh, but also noting uh, his frustrations with the way that things have been handled thus far. Yeah. Also, another area that's uh, degraded public trust, of course, is that scandal at the legislature. He noted that when he had campaigned in the past, he did not actively solicit donations during the legislative session. That is one of the bills that is moving along right now that would limit lawmakers' ability to actually fundraise during the legislative session. Of course, uh, the two lawmakers who have now pleaded guilty uh, were doing something very different, much more egregious, taking money outright. But there are a number of bills that are looking at ways to make people feel more comfortable with the way lawmakers accept donations and also increase transparency. You heard his real disgust with what had happened there uh, and frustrations. We've heard that from lawmakers at every level. Yeah, so great to hear from the governor. We'll be hearing from him uh, a little bit more this month in a few weeks. Uh, starting on Monday, we switch gears and we catch up with, uh, we're catching up with Hawaiian Airlines and going through uh, what's happening there. Yeah, very interesting to hear as they gear up for the summer season. Of course, spring break is upon us, but uh, what is it looking like for summer? What are booking looking like? And how does the lifting of the safe travels program, uh, what does that mean for Hawaiian Airlines? What are they anticipating? I did see some questions in here about tourism. Uh, we are going to talk about that with someone who really has his finger on the pulse of tourism, and that is Peter Ingram. So please do join us on Monday. Until then, have a safe and healthy weekend. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Longs Drugs and Beachside Roofing.